You are now listening to the Think 180 podcast from Inc. 180 Ministries in Chicago, Illinois. Hello and welcome. Please stand by. This is Chris Baker from Inc. 180 Ministry in Oswego, Illinois. Joined with Kyle Craning this morning, as always. Hey, good morning. Doing something a little bit different today. This is episode eight, and uh, we've been having a, a great time, great response. We're getting some really nice messages from people that have been checking out the podcast, and we really appreciate it. Um, just trying to, to put the ministry out there for you and kind of give you more of an insight to what we deal with every day. And... Uh, the first seven episodes so far, I've kind of dealt with a, a main topic every episode, and um, I've been getting a lot of questions sent in from people, and I just wanted to, to use episode eight to, to answer your questions um, from a variety of different subjects, so uh, we're going to get into it. Uh, thanks to everybody who submitted questions. You know, every, every episode that follows, we will also answer your questions, so please keep sending them on in. Uh, you can send them into uh, the Facebook page, the Inc. 180 Facebook page, or you can email them to chris at inc180.com. Um, so I broke it up into different uh, topic groups. So uh, the first group of questions are all related to sex trafficking. And uh, the first first one is from Jennifer. Um, this is a question I actually have been getting quite often. So it's a, it's a great one uh, to kick it off with. But uh, she asks, what, what is law enforcement doing about criminals using the, the dark web uh, to stop, you know, snuff porn, child pornography, things like that, sex trafficking? Uh, and she, she said, I was just wondering, researching this stuff for my criminal justice course. It's sick and it's out there. It is absolutely sick. Uh, so the easiest way to answer that question is it's such a hot topic right now that this whole dark web and the databases for trafficking and the, the, the snuff porn and the child porn that's out there. Um, I have reached out to some of my folks in federal law enforcement that deal with internet crimes against children. And I'm actually going to bring one or two of them in here in the next few weeks to answer that in a whole, whole episode um, where we're going to talk about different topics related to it. Um, what I can tell you is there are, great people dedicated to fighting it. Um, but I would be doing an injustice to, to really talk about what they do. They, they'll do so much better of a job um, at explaining that than I would. Um, but it, it's, it's um, crazy how many stories I'm seeing about this lately in the news and just different podcasts I'm checking out uh, that I listen to on a regular basis. 
how this is increasing because, you know, everybody knows that Backpage.com is under fire, and that's, of course, right in front of our faces. Um, Backpage.com is a horrible site that does need to be shut down, and the people that are responsible for it need to be held accountable. Um, But there are things on the dark web that are so much more horrific even than that, Um, and it's not to diminish how horrible Backpage is. Uh, but yeah, we're going to do that here in the next few weeks. So I'm going to defer that one a little bit, uh, but they are doing amazing work. Uh, I just recently got to tour the Child Advocacy Center down in Wichita, who we've worked with for quite a long time with um, ICTSOS the last few years. And they gave us a tour and they showed us the uh, the banks of computers that they have set up to just randomly go out and ping IP addresses looking for people that are in these parts of the internet that are downloading or or putting content up um, and how they they work to go after those people and prosecute and we had a a pretty awesome conversation down there and uh, shout out to those folks and my folks in Wichita I love you guys and I'll see you soon Uh, they're doing great work Um, Megan had a question or she had two questions actually Uh, her first question was who refers victims to you and I'm I'm assuming that by that she was referring to sex trafficking, but I'll kind of cover all the bases with it. Sex trafficking survivors come to us one of a couple of different ways. They never just call in um, on their own. Sex trafficking survivors are typically brought to us um, through federal law enforcement partners, FBI, Homeland Security, U.S. Attorney's Office, etc., or through a safe house or an aftercare program that they're, they're working with. And I, I've talked before about kind of my requirement to have their caseworker or their victim specialist come in with them, and um, it helps them be comfortable. Um, it also helps them deal with any PTSD triggers or any trigger activity that they're facing or dealing with while we cover the tattoo or, or remove it. Uh, it also protects me and my staff as well uh, because we're dealing with uh, people, helping people out that have been horrifically victimized. And we don't ever want to put ourselves in a vulnerable position where somebody could say that we did something inappropriate or said something, anything like that. So that's uh, how sex trafficking survivors are referred in. Gang members, it's pretty much any way you can imagine. Um, They'll call in. They've heard about us. They uh, may have just been released from the system. They got information upon release about tattoo removal through Inc. 180. Uh, Friends, family. You know, they may have seen something on the news or read something in the paper about what we do or heard about it. Um, So it's a a lot of word of mouth, parole, probation, judges, cops. I give cops business cards, stacks of business cards all the time. And I I tell them, leave these in your car, Um, because the first thing that happens when they pull somebody over that has a teardrop or a gang tattoo um, that's visible, the officer will ask him, hey, what's that all about? And they'll say, oh, man, that's, you know, that's my old life. I don't do that anymore. Well, now the, this officer can give them a card and say, hey, that's, that's great. I'm glad you're trying to change your life. I really hope that's true. Um, here, call this guy and he'll remove those tattoos for you for free. So there's a lot of different ways on the gang side. There's really no limit to that. Um, domestic violence survivors, um, they, sometimes they'll call. By them, they'll just call on their own. They've heard about us. They've read stuff. They follow the Facebook page. Um, or through a shelter or a, an aftercare provider, counselor, therapist will um, let them know that we do this. 
And then self-harm is also kind of just a myriad of different ways, but we work with a lot of counselors that deal predominantly with self-harm folks, um, and we let them know that this is available. Um, a lot of counselors will kind of, I don't want to say use this, but they'll, they will um, make it available to their clients or, or let them know about it. Uh, when they've been going through their counseling and they're they're making some strides to get the help that they need and, and go in the right direction. And uh, that that's a great thing for us because we've had, I think I mentioned this one on the episode where we talked about self-harm, uh, where we've had a couple people try and kind of pull one over and they, they didn't really have self-harm scars. They had a couple scratches that they had done themselves and um, trying to get free tattoos out of it. So unfortunately, that's uh, something we've we've had to face, but it is what it is. It is what it is. It's not going to change us or stop us from doing what we do. Uh, Megan's other question was, are there more tattoo artists elsewhere who have joined this mission? Yeah, here's the thing with the tattoo industry. The tattoo industry is it's split in half, and it's of course, it's not 50-50. It's whatever, uh, whatever it is. But there's two kinds of tattoo artists out there. There's the old school kind of back alley guys that have been doing it for 40 years and, you know, they're stuck in their ways and whatever. Um, and some of those guys hate my guts. Some of those some of those guys are old friends of mine and they hate my guts. Um, and some of them are just indifferent. They don't care about anybody. And uh, the other part of the industry seems to be kind of like the the new younger tattoo artists so that there are some of us some of us older folks doing it but um that want to do things in the community whether it's something like ink 180 um whether it's that or just raising awareness to issues um supporting fundraisers in the community um, doing fundraisers maybe for a family that's in need in the the area where they live there's a lot of people doing just really cool stuff and that's one of the the greatest joys and i get to network with those folks um, and, and the other side too, you know, I, I, I reach out to everybody. We go to a lot of conventions. We're always talking to tattoo artists wherever we go and, and tattoo removal folks to talk about what we do and see if they might be interested in getting on board. Um, yes, we do have other partner organizations that we work with uh, around the country and it's, you know, it continues to grow slowly, but surely. And, uh, you know, tattoo artists really don't want to be dealing with sex trafficking. They don't want to be putting tattoos on people that they shouldn't be. Uh, so we're doing a lot to educate them as well. Uh, one of our, our biggest partners and greatest friends is Amor Sierra. She's down in Miami at the Miami Tattoo Company. She owns the Miami Tattoo Company. So if you're if you're down in Florida or, or around or going there on vacation, go see Amor. She's an amazing woman. Um, she does so much to fight sex trafficking. And, and she also um, has artists at her facility that cover up self-harm scars and they remove gang tattoos. She's, it's just awesome. We met a few years ago and, um, it's a, it's a story that I'll, you know, I'll talk about with her when I have her on the the podcast here in the next little bit, I'm dying to get her on here and interview her. But uh, just the way we met was just totally cool. It was a, a total God thing. And to see how, things have progressed and grown down at Miami tattoo company with a more is just phenomenal. And the work that she's doing um, specifically to fight sex trafficking is fantastic. 
So yeah, we do have other tattoo artists in the area and around, I mean, around the country that we're working with and we love that. Okay. Julie asked me, can you talk about sex trafficking and, and you work with law enforcement? Do you talk to kids at schools or events on the risk of social dangers with apps like Periscope? Uh, Kids on these apps uh, aren't being watched. And yet I haven't seen much prevention addressing parents or the issue at large. Well, yeah, we do. I mean, it's a huge part of what we do. You know, people look at Inc. 180 and they're like, oh, yeah, it's that tattoo ministry. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we do. We deal with tattoos a lot. But we also do a lot of the educational stuff. Um, We're in the schools as often as possible. During the school year, every week we're in at least one school every week. Um, sometimes multiples, sometimes when we travel out to regions, we'll hit like 10 or 15 schools in that region in a week. So we do that. Uh, and we also do our social media safety class. Well, we do that every month. Um, in the announcements I'll be talking, uh, we have one coming up, uh, on September 24th. It's free of charge. We're actually going to be filming that one on Facebook live. Uh, so people will be able to watch it wherever they are. And if they can't make it here to beautiful Oswego, Illinois. Uh, they'll be able to check it out wherever they are. So we're looking forward to that. So yeah, it is, you know, when we started the ministry, we, we thought, oh, this is cool. We get to help cover and remove these sex trafficking tattoos. But, you know, seeing so much of it, we said, you know, we got to do something on the front end. Like I would, I would much rather prevent another person from falling into this than have, you know, having more tattoos to remove. I mean, I I hope that whole thing goes away at some point. Um, so yeah, we're constantly trying to educate. We speak in churches, we speak to youth groups quite often. Um, so yeah, we're out there trying to educate as much as we can. Um, Andrea asked, uh, what are the, what are the statistics of trafficking increase over the last decade or two? It seems like it has increased substantially. Okay, here, here's my, my thing, and people ask me this quite often, so I'm really glad Andrea asked the question. Um, there's a lot of statistics out there. Okay, when, when we started doing trafficking tattoo removals, I kind of fell into that too. And, you know, I, I've heard all the, um, the Lifetime Movie Network statistics out there. Um, I don't know if they're accurate, so I stopped going by them. Here, here's what I do know, though. If it's one, it's way too many. Um, So we stopped using the statistics because what we found was there were groups out there, and I I won't name any specifically, I'll never do that, but there were groups, um, other nonprofits, who were all over that. They're always talking about these statistics, and you know it was 250,000 to 300,000 American kids. And uh, from some of my conversations with, federal law enforcement, they're like, yeah, we're not really buying into the, these numbers. There's no substantial evidence to support those numbers. And the, there were some organizations that were using those numbers, I think, to get people freaked out a little bit. Uh, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people being trafficked. There are a ton. Um, and I there are some statistics that I'm not quite sure on, so I don't use any. Uh, but there's some others that I've seen that are, I'm very aware of because I've actually seen it in front of my face. Uh, so we don't really <laughs> we don't really know what to 
to verify on the statistics. There are some groups out there. I know Amore has somebody that she's working with who um, is closely working on tying statistical, empirical evidence to sex trafficking in the United States. And that's something I'm definitely going to jot down to talk to Amore about when we have her on the podcast. Um, because people do. I see it all the time. I see the other thing with that. I just want to mention it. Um, I see pictures all the time. I, I follow a lot of trafficking ministries and there's so many good ones. And um, we just we love to kind of follow up with them and see how we might be able to partner and, and see what's going on. One of the things that I see often that drives me absolutely insane is people will use photographs of little kids with chains wrapped around their wrists, um, handcuffed to beds and stuff like that. I, I'll never do that. I don't, I don't believe in sensationalizing an issue that's horrific. Um, it's, it's unnecessary and you'll, you'll never see us do it. Um, you know, we've learned a lot. That's why we've, we've kind of shied away from using the statistics that people tend to use. Um, we know it's a lot. We know it's out there. We know it's right in front of our face. Uh, we know it's right here in our community. They just, just had another massage parlor open up here in Oswego about a month ago. And it's actually about 400 yards from Inc. 180. Um, so it's, it's right in front of us. And we know that. And like I said, as long as it's one, it's way too many. Okay. Um, Miranda asked, I would love to hear stories of people who were children that were sex trafficked and got out of it, um, how it all happened, what we can do to help others. Um, they know to get out of it too. Okay. So this is why I'm writing the book. When I, um, did the documentary with TLN a few years ago, they came to me and said, Hey, we want to do a doc. They actually came to me at church. I had just finished speaking at church, at my church, Big Life. And uh, Greg Bogdan came in. He's he's the president of TLN, great guy. And he said, hey, I want to do a documentary on your ministry. I was like, eh, no, I'm, I'm good. And uh, he kind of looked at me puzzled, and he's like, why? And I was like, well, I don't really want to have a documentary, and I don't want it to be about me. Um, and he said, no, no, we'll do it about the ministry. And anyway, long story short, he came back and, you know, he was persistent with it and he came back and he's like, what will it take for you to do a documentary? And I said, I want my clients to tell their story in their own words. And I just want Jesus to show up in it. And they did an excellent job of doing that. I was down in Houston, Texas with my friend, Carl Etchison. He does full-time prison ministry. He's a retired pastor. I don't think you ever retire from being a pastor, but he does full-time prison ministry now and does a phenomenal job. And uh, Lisa and I were down with him and, and uh, in a maximum security prison just north of, of Houston. And we went in and I, they asked me to speak about the ministry. They had shown the documentary, which was I thought was really cool. Uh, they showed it in the prison. And they had about 40 or 50 guys in there. Some of those guys were uh, doing pretty long sentences. Some of those guys will never see freedom in their lives. Um, freedom in the physical sense of being outside prison, I should say. But um, Carl does amazing work with them uh, to share Jesus in their lives and 
great guy. So anyway, we're down there and I, I spoke and I was doing a Q&A afterwards. And this this uh, older Hispanic gentleman raised his hand and he said, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, no, I'm not. I don't even read books. I mean, I can read, but I don't really read books for enjoyment. I have ADD and I don't really I just don't do it. Um, and he said, man, because it would be so good, you know, for us in here, we get books, we can get books easily. Um, and we just need stuff that's as hopeful as your documentary was like, we got hope from that. And it really sparked an interest in me, um, to start writing. And I have, it's, it's been a long process and it's still going on and still working on it, but that's what we want to do. We want to tell these, these stories of folks. And of course we'll change their names and, and some of the details to protect their, their privacy. Um, but, and they've all agreed to it and said, yes, I would never write someone's story out that, that didn't want me to do that. Um, but I will, I will share one story. Um, and the thing is these, these stories are horrific. These stories are the reason I go to counseling. Um, and these are the, the things that keep me up at night, but we had one in particular, uh, you know, Miranda asked, she'd like to hear stories about people who were children when they were trafficked. We had one uh, one woman, we'll say her name was Lexi, for the sake of this conversation. Uh, she was born um, to a mother who was being prostituted by her father. She was born into it. They would sell her to pedophiles who would take photos and videos. Um, they would rape her as a child. And it became her new normal in her life, if you can imagine that. She was brought in um, to strip clubs when she was 13 years old and started dancing at strip clubs at 13, was brought into the porn industry at 15. She was trafficked her entire life. When she came here, she was 36 years old. And she told us various um, stories about her parents. Her parents would sit there and watch her be abused. Her parents would film her being abused. She had horrible drug problems, alcoholism, uh, self-harm, a myriad of issues in her life. Never got the help until she started going counseling four months before we saw her. And I'll never forget Lisa and I were sitting in the room with her and her victim specialist as I'm removing. She had uh, she had three tattoos. I removed two and covered one. She was here about four and a half hours that day. And Lisa and I just had this blank stare on her face. Like, what do you say? What do you say to something? Somebody that tells you they were horrifically abused their entire lives. And she didn't know what else to do. She had no, she had, that was her normal. And to sit there and take that in, it's, it haunts me. Every single person that has come through here um, to get trafficking tattoos removed, um, most of the time they will open up and they will tell us stuff. We don't ever ask, but they'll, they'll open it up and they'll just, you know, once they start feeling a little bit comfortable with us, they'll start talking about it. And, I'll never, ever get these stories out of my mind. 
you know, hearing about it. She was, Lexi was telling us she had, uh, she was held up in a Memphis hotel or a motel, junky little motel, right? And her pimp would stand outside the door and guys would just come check in like every 15 minutes. Cops, doctors, lawyers, judges, pastors, married men that had families. And to her, that was normal. And to sit there and listen to her say, tell it, you know, saying to us, telling us how everybody in her life had used her in some fashion, some way, um, that she had never had a normal relationship and she didn't think she ever could. And I'm sitting there, I'm like thinking in my head, I'm like, yeah, how could you? Like, how could you trust anybody? Like I've had people kind of mess me over before and I'm very uh, different than I used to be. My, my old, my old life was, man, if you mess me over one time, don't, don't even come to me. Don't even look at me. Don't even come to me to apologize. Cause you're done. You're dead to me. Uh, of course my, my life changed and you know, now I'm a much more forgiving person, but I think about these stories. I'm like, how could you ever expect somebody that's gone through this to forgive or to, for, you know, to, even move forward. Like how do you, you know, people are like, Oh, forgive and forget. You're not going to forget any of this stuff. You're never going to forget this. Forgive. I'm not sure I, I could if I was them um, because I hear these stories and I don't even know the abusers. I don't know the men that abuse them or the women for that matter, whoever it is. And I want to go after those people and I don't even know them. Um, I want to, you know, people ask me like, do you ever get mad and like want to go be a vigilante against the pimps? I, man, I would love to once in a while. Right. Like pimps are horrible human beings, you know, they don't deserve the mercy. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's not my place. Mom, I know you're listening. I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. But, um, it, <laughs> it's a huge thing to sit and listen to. And it's hard, it, especially when you go home and you have dinner with your kids and you're sitting there looking into your kid's eyes and, remembering what somebody like Lexi told you um, and just thanking God that your kids don't ever have to experience anything like that. Uh, I had another question. I didn't have a name. It was an anonymous one. Um, you work with a lot of other ministries and nonprofits that help trafficking survivors after they come out of the life. Uh, what issues do you see or what could be improved to help make things better in this area? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great people doing great work. We've, uh, since 2011, when we started the ministry, we've learned a lot through trial and error. We haven't always done it the best way, uh, but we are always looking for and searching for best practices. Uh, we see some organizations that just really do it right. Uh, so we try to emulate that and, you know, refine our processes and, and do things differently. But, you know, there's a lot of things, there's uh, a lot of, a lot of negative things happen when well-intentioned people um, get in a hurry or they maybe don't have the experience that maybe they should have for that role. I mean, um, poor communication is one. Um, we deal with that all the time. We had a situation with that yesterday, but uh, it is what it is, and grace is given. But um, I've, I've heard stories from survivors where there were organizations where people were claiming 
these survivors. And I'm like, wait a minute, isn't that the problem that we're trying to shut down? Um, I had a survivor who was in, she was, you know, using her words, rescued by an organization. Um, and they were housing her. And the woman that was housing her took her out to eat and saw one of her friends. And he said, oh, this is, she said, this is my, my survivor. This is my survivor. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, is it that? And the scary thing is I've heard it a couple of times from different people, um, people trying to kind of claim these, these survivors. And I'm like, wow. Um, yeah. Um, and then, you know, one of the other things is, uh, you know, folks that are kind of operating outside their pay grade that are maybe not necessarily the best qualified to maybe be a caseworker or, um, be working closely with survivors. Maybe they're just out of school and, you know, I'm all about education. Um, I'm getting ready to go back to school myself. Um, but you know, I, I it's funny cause to sit here and, and say it, you know, unqualified people, I, I say it all the time, you know, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And sometimes that takes time. And it, it has happened with me too. He's, um, continued to kind of qualify me and give me other opportunities and, and ways to learn different things, to do things in a better way. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, like we had, I think I talked about it on one of the other episodes, we had a sex trafficking survivor in for a tattoo removal. And as I was getting ready to start the process, I went into the storage room to get paper towels. And when I came back, she was gone. The caseworker was gone. And she's like, oh, I got to run over to my parents' house and pick up something real quick and left the survivor with us. And uh, the survivor triggered and she said, oh, my God, I've been dropped off places before and not picked up. I know what this feels like. And I said, like, no, no, no. So I had to call the director of the organization and get the girl back here. And thankfully, she was back here pretty quick, but she was gone for about 45 minutes. And it was just a, a tough situation. You know, we... <clears throat> I think our number one goal as, as service providers needs to be the safety and security of, of those who are with us, who we're helping or trying to help. Um, so yeah, sometimes people are just operating out of their, out of their lane a little bit, but you know, we work with them and it's a learning process. We don't always do everything right too. You know, we've learned from some of our mistakes and we continue to. So I think as long as we all work together and avoid some of the kind of caddy stuff that goes on, you know, which we have here, we have zero tolerance for, like, I'm not going to get into the whole fight of survivor led versus, you know, non-survivor led ministries or organizations. That's, there's a whole lot of that going on. We refuse to be a part of it. Okay. That was the last trafficking uh, question that had come up and uh, we'll tr kind of transition right there to gang stuff. You know, gangs, Gang tattoo removals and cover-ups and street ministry is probably the the biggest segment of the ministry. It's of course it's what we started with and kind of where everything jumped off from. But um, Amber asked, "Do you ever have any problems with the gangs coming after you?" Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> I've had eight death threats since 2011. We've kind of talked about that before. Um, I, I'm I must not be doing it right because I haven't had a death threat in like a year. So bring it on, kids. But uh, the thing is, with the gangs, yeah, they get mad sometimes because I'm covering up gang tattoos and they see that as disrespectful or whatever. 
here's the truth. And if you know me, if you've been following my work for any length of time, you know that I don't do this to offend, upset, get in the face. You know, yes, I make jokes and say, bring it on kids. I don't really mean that. I do street ministry with, with these guys that are active gang members and girls that are active gang members. Um, because we truly care about them. We truly want better for their lives. Um, and oftentimes they couldn't care less about their own life. So that's one of the tough things. Um, I, like I said, we've had the eight death threats. Um, I pray for them on the phone after they get done threatening my life and my family's lives and, uh, very specific, uh, details about what they're going to do. And I pray for them and I, I pray for them sincerely. I really do mean it. I hope that uh, they kind of have a change of heart and calm down. Obviously, I'm I'm still here. Um, I'm not bulletproof by that same token, but I just I truly feel like I got more work to do before I get to be done with this uh, and and get to go home. You know, um, and if somebody's gonna make me a martyr for Jesus, then God help them because I'll I'll come back at them from the other side and minister to them. But uh, I love what I do. I love that I get to have. Difficult, challenging conversations with people. I, I had a situation, um, geez, about a year? No. Yeah, about a year ago with a young kid. And he came, we were, me and my youngest daughter, Quinn, we were walking into the grocery store and I was wearing a t shirt that had the word disciple across the chest. And this kid was coming out of the grocery store, young Hispanic kid, probably 19. And uh, he starts throwing Latin King's hand signals at me and he was pretty upset and cussing me out with my 12 year old it was really classy. And, uh, I sat and I talked to him and I just explained, I was like, no, 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 I'm not a, you know, I'm not a gangster disciple or a Satan's disciple. I'm a disciple of Jesus. And this is what I do. And then he, he recognized who I was from that. And, um, he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. But he's like, man, you shouldn't wear that shirt, man. You're going to get shot. I'm like, I'm a disciple of Jesus, man. I'm, I'm as proud of that as you are of your Latin King tattoos. So, you know, someday when you're ready to get out of this life, you're going to come talk to me. And sure enough, he did. And we had a great conversation. I talked to him last week. We're removing tattoos for him. He's trying to change his life. He wants to get into Wabonzi Community College and go to school and trying to get his act together. And that's what it's all about. It's, um, it's not offending. It's not getting in their face. It's not being aggressive with them by any means. It's just offering them an option um, if and when they decide to get out of that life and also talking to them about their kids and their their younger siblings. They don't want them to fall into that life either. So it's uh, it, it's always an interesting dance when when we're doing street ministry. I uh, had another another question. Somebody said, how do you fund all the free work that you do? Shouldn't you just do more tattoo business? Yeah, that's a, a question that gets brought up. Um, I actually had somebody ask it a, a more colorful way a couple of years ago that I'll never forget. This woman wanted a, a Bible verse tattoo. And I had opened up my calendar and I said, sure, I can get you in in two weeks. And she immediately, like the whole tide of the conversation changed. She was angry that I couldn't get her in that day or the next day. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I said, I'm, I'm all booked up, but I, I'm happy to get you in that next week and get you taken care of. And if I have any cancellations, I can call you. And she said, well, if you'd stop doing free tattoos for gangbangers and whores, you could make some more money. And I stopped kind of dead in my tracks on the phone. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I just don't think this is the right tattoo shop for you because 
Um, those are people that we care deeply about. And I really am sad that you feel that way, especially given the fact that you want a Bible verse tattooed on you. Um, the fact of the matter is 80% of my work is free work. It's ministry work. And I don't, I don't really look at it like that it's taking away. It's enriching my life. It's enriching my family's lives um, by being able to share a gift that I was given freely. Um, if I could do 100% ministry work, I would. Um, but the fact of the matter is I still have to pay the bills. I still have to pay the ministry bills. And great people out there donate to this ministry and bless us to, to help us keep things going. But we pour a lot of money into the ministry ourselves just to keep it going. And we're always going to do what we have to do to survive. And we'll, you know, we'll still do tattoos and we, I still love to tattoo people and get to know people. Um, but the ministry is where my heart's at. And if you know me and if you followed my work, you, you know that. Um, so I guess we'll just leave it, leave that at that. Um, John asked, he said, you grew up in LA with friends who were in gangs and you work with gangs quite a bit, but you also work with law enforcement. Um, does that ever become an issue tiptoeing through that balancing act? Um, it, it, no, it's not an issue. The fact is I wanted to be a cop when I was younger. I really did. My uncle is a cop and I really respected him. And, um, my friend Mark is a, uh, cop out at LAPD is a high ranking guy and he's been doing it forever. He, uh, he does great work in, in LA, but I wanted to be a cop and just based on who my friends were when I was younger and my, you know, I had dropped, had to drop out of high school and go to work when I was, you know, 16. And I just didn't think I would be accepted uh, to be a cop, to go into the academy or anything. But the, the cool thing is I get to use my life to minister to current active and former gang members. And I love that. I love that. I get to share that, that old life, share how my new life came about. And I love that I get to work with cops every single day because it is the best of both worlds. I get to do what I love. I get to minister to people, minister with people. I get to listen to people share my life. I get to tattoo. I get to remove tattoos and I get to work with cops and it's, it's the coolest thing. And, you know, part of that working with, with cops is I get to sit and listen to them and minister with them too. Um, because a lot of times, you know, they have stuff that they're dealing with just based on their job. Kind of like me, you know, I go to counseling. I, I offload the stories like Lexi's story. I offload that to my counselor and burden them with it. And it's kind of a cycle, you know, we all, we all need to offload these horrible things and police officers need to do that too. And you know what, sometimes they don't get that. They don't get that support from their department or their spouse or, you know, they, they've believed those lies. Like I believe the lies that my dad told me for years, you know, oh, guys don't go to counseling. That's, that's for women and it's all garbage. Um, but a lot of people have bought into that. Um, if now, if I, if I was talking to a gang member, let's say, for example, and they happened to tell me about something that was going to happen, yeah, I'd have to go to law enforcement, of course. I'm, you know, uh, But I, I will tell you, gang members are not going to tell me what they're about to do. Um, they're not stupid kids. They're actually very highly intelligent. And that's why the gang problem is such a huge problem, because we're not dealing with 
punk kids. We're dealing with people who are very well organized and know when to talk and when not to. Last question. Um, they asked to remain anonymous and I kind of see why with the question, but uh, this is one that I've gotten quite often. Um, so I wanted to include it for sure. Um, is it really worth the risk to help these people? Do you think they can really change? I absolutely think they can change. Um, and I think that because I've seen it happen and I've seen it happen in cases where most people <laughs> would just be like, there's no way this guy or this girl is going to do anything productive. And I've seen it happen. Um, that's why, you know, this ministry is called Inc. 180. It's like a U-turn. You're, you're changing direction in your life from a negative to a positive. And I've absolutely seen it happen. And every single life matters. It's not a t-shirt slogan. It's not a hashtag. Every single person is capable of having an amazing life. A lot of the people that I minister with made one or two bad decisions and it took them down a different path. Uh, we're, we're all capable of that. God knows I've made my share and a half of stupid decisions in my own life. Um, and it's kind of brought me to this point where I am. All right, we're going to change directions and go to um, questions about faith and my religion. Um, there's, there's some oldies but goodies here, but uh, we'll start off with Brooke. Um, Brooke asked, what denomination are you? And she says, I've heard you refer to a rosary on here. Just curious. Okay, so when I was a kid, I was raised Catholic, and I never paid attention. I hated going to church when I was a kid. I was always looking at my watch to see when kickoff was for the football game and how quick we could get out of there to go to the donut store. <laughs> and it, Now, let me say this. Let me, I, I want to say this. Most of my family, my, my extended family, are Irish Catholic, okay? I have nothing against the Catholic Church. It's just where I was as a kid. I, I did not care about church. And then when I was a teenager, I didn't have to go anymore. I didn't. Um, I belong to Big Life Community Church. I'm an elder there. Have been there since the beginning, and I love it. Uh, it's here in Oswego, if you want to come check it out. 197 Washington Street. Um, but we are a Disciples of Christ Church. It's a very, my church is a very um, come as you are, you know, bring all your, all your stuff to the table. And, and, you know, we're all just people that are living life trying to walk towards Jesus, trying to give God a little bit better every single day um, and aren't being judged for our past. Um, but we're, we're trying to work together for a great, you know, today and tomorrow and trying to do good work in the community. That's what Big Life Church is all about. Big Life Community Church um, is where I am. It's where I'm going to be. And I would love for you to come and join us. Check it out. Um, Mackenzie asked, would you ever be interested in speaking at a church event that's outside Chicago? Heck yeah, I do it all the time. Um, we have our mobile unit. We'll bring our mobile unit out there. We'll fly out there. Um, just contact us, you know, chris at inc180.com. You can send me an email or you can call us 630-554-1404. Um, I would love to do more events. I, I speak in churches outside of my own church as often as possible, and uh, we'd love to do it. Christian asked, you know, what are some ways that helped you get closer to God when you first came to faith? Well, there was that one thing. I mean, I talked about it on uh, the episode where we were talking about mental health issues. And it was when Lisa and I were in a counseling office and my counselor prayed for me. And I ran to church the next day and 100 miles an hour towards God ever since then. And um, it was just people being welcoming and accepting 
you know, I, I got lucky cause I've heard a lot of horror stories about people that kind of look like me and, um, they weren't exactly welcomed to their local church. So that p- played a key role. Um, being accepted and welcomed in was a huge factor in my staying involved in church. Um, small groups, you know, to me, it's not just about Sunday morning. It's, you know, throughout the week, doing things throughout the week, obviously with, you know, running a ministry, I'm doing stuff 24 seven here with that. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's different for everybody. It's also good, great, actually not good. It's great to have a group of real tight friends through your church, um, or that have the same beliefs as you, um, to kind of prop each other up and be there when you're struggling, have an accountability team or at least an accountability partner. Um, I definitely have had that since I came to faith and it's been, it's been playing a key role. Okay. So there's two questions here. One is anonymous and one was asked by Annie there, but they're the same thing. So, um, first I'm going to, I'm going to say Annie's question she said, hi, I'm a Christian and I have a tattoo, but I'm curious how you reconcile tattoos with the verse Leviticus 19.28. Probably the most common question I've been asked since we started the ministry. And then this person who, the the next person who asked to remain anonymous, and probably a good thing, and I, I'll respect that. I always will. Um, this was their question, okay? And this is, I, I get this question asked two different ways. The way Annie asked me and this way. Uh, This person said, how can you call what you do a ministry? The Bible says in Leviticus 19.38, it's a sin to cut your flesh. Therefore, my friend, you are sinning and will be judged by God. Okay, Um, let's backtrack. First of all, it's not Leviticus Leviticus 19.38. It's Leviticus 19.28 because Leviticus stops at 19 stops at 37. There is no 38. Okay, Um, here's the deal. Here's the thing. Here's my answer with Leviticus, okay? Well, what is the actual Bible verse? Well, it's, it's actually Leviticus 19.28. Right. Basically, it says, therefore, you will not cut your flesh. Um, and it's talking about worshiping pagan gods, mm-hmm. okay? Because there were a lot of pagan religions back in the day. They were, in a sense, tattooing. They were cutting their flesh and marking themselves um, to worship false gods. Right. Okay. So the whole um, Leviticus, you know, Leviticus was written basically as a health code, as a health guideline for the, that time. Um, they didn't have urgent cares to run to, and they didn't have Imodium. And if you, the, here's the thing, if you read Leviticus from, from top to bottom, which I have, um, and I sometimes wonder if people who harshly ask the question, you know, some people like Annie asked it in a, in a great way. She, you know, she has tattoos like She's just asking me, how do you explain it to people when they come at you like this other person? Here's the thing. That was written for that time, okay, in my opinion. If you disagree, I respect your, I respect, uh, your opinion, and that's okay. Um, my tattoos do not glorify false gods. In fact, most of my tattoos glorify Jesus. One of the, the most um, asked about tattoos that I have on my body is my, my portrait of Jesus that I have on my shin. Um, it starts conversations about God. Um, and it opens discussions in a positive way. Um, you know, like Jefferson Bethke is a great guy, great author. Um, check him out. But he did a, a YouTube video a few years back that I loved. I thought it was so dead on where he's talking about this very topic. And basically 
he says, look, in Revelations 19, it says when he returns, he'll have his name on his robe and on his thigh. And that's not, guys, that's not to say that, you know, he's going to come and have a tattoo on his leg, okay? Um, but my one of my favorite Bible verses is Isaiah 49, 16, where God says, you know, behold, I have the names of my children engraved in the palms of my hands. I could never forget you. And it's like, I'm not trying to convince people that God has, you know, Jesus has tattoos, but I'm just trying to get people to think differently. And really the bottom line for me is if you think getting tattoos is my greatest sin of my life, you're sorely mistaken. I've messed up way harder than getting tattoos. Um, but you know what? It's forgiven. It, I live under a new covenant with Jesus and that's what it's all about. My sin is forgiven. It's not like I'm out there getting tattoos that are destructive or offensive or racially motivated, anything like that, um, that would hurt someone else. My tattoos glorify God. And in my, my business, I don't do any tattoos that go against that. I don't do any tattoos that are, um, demonic, satanic, uh, the only tattoo that I will ever do that has any kind of demon representation is a St. Michael tattoo where he's slaying the demon. Um, I don't do anything drug-related, gang-related, um, alcohol-related, racial, um, derogatory towards women. Like I don't tattoo pinups and stuff like that. Um, and then if the tattoo, if you, know, you want to get a tattoo that basically is an area where your swimsuit covers it, I don't do that. That's not what I'm about here. Um, so... You may not agree with tattoos, and that's okay. That does not offend me. We can still have dinner, have a cup of coffee, whatever. It's all good. Um, but that that's how I kind of reconcile it. And am I wrong? Will I be judged for it? I have no idea. But you know what, guys? We have bigger issues in this world right now than who has tattoos. I mean, we have we have two people playing you know chicken with nuclear weapons right now. We have a horrible racial climate in this country. We have sex trafficking running rampant in our country and in our world. We have children being slaughtered in gang violence every single day, not just here in Chicago, but across this country. People are desperate. People are doing desperate things. Um, I, I really think tattoos are lower on the priority list of, you know, fighting about. So that, I guess that's all I have to say on that. I'll, I'll kind of jump off my soapbox on that because I could go all day. That could be a whole episode. Maybe we'll do oh, for that. for real. And Maybe, you know what we should do? We should get somebody that's super legalistic to come in here and debate it with me. I'd love that. Wouldn't that be cool? I'd love just to sit here and but, watch it. Well, the thing is, here's the, when it comes up, and I've had it happen um, certainly a number of times, but uh, I, like, for example, I... Uh, three years ago, we showed the documentary at Moody Bible Church. Huge church, right? Mm-hmm. And after we showed the documentary, we did a Q&A. So I'm sitting up on the stage with a microphone to answer questions. And this kid who's a Moody Bible Institute student, and we love Moody. I'm up there all the time. I speak there. It's great. I'm on the radio up there all the time with Carl and June, all those guys. Um, but this kid gets up on the microphone, and, he's, and I'm sorry for language, okay? So I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm going to say something not horrible, but it's cussing. Okay. It's a quote. Yeah. Thank you. Um, he, this kid was questioning that whole very question about Leviticus and tattoos. And 
and he was getting angry and I was talking, I was responding to him very politely and very calm. And I think that made him even more upset that I was, was not getting angry with him. And he, he was like almost shaking. He was so mad and he ended it by saying, well, I just think it's really shitty that you do that to people and gives the microphone over to a advisor from the school that was helping out. And I, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, bro, you just cussed at me in church and I'm the problem. Like, come on, on, man. Like, and you knew when you came here tonight, you knew what we were talking about. Right. Right. So I would, I would love to do it. I would love to do it if we can find somebody that'll do it calmly though, where we can have a a really Mm -hmm. productive conversation. So I'll, I'll work on that. That, yeah, that's one of the things it's, it's, you know, growing up, going to church and everything, piercings and tattoos are a huge, have a huge stigma growing up as a parent. Now I don't want my kid going out and getting a, a piercing at 13, 14 years yeah. old. You know, it's like, oh shoot, you know, Definitely. and at the same time though, I never disliked tattoos or piercings, you know, and actually my, I actually got a piercing when I was 18 with my parents. Yeah you know, on a vacation. And, you know, my first tattoo was on my 21st birthday and it was a cross, Yeah, you know, and, uh, it's one of my, it's simple. And it's one of my favorites, but, uh, ever since then, it's just, you know, it, it is a conversation piece and it is a yeah. way to open up the door to people. And I think I don't want to get on a soapbox either, but <laughs> I think us or you know, just people in general, let alone Christians, Mm-hmm. Just need to get along with everyone a lot better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. It's like there's too much. You do. You're doing this wrong and fist shaking and pointing the finger. You know what? Let's let's stop that. Yeah. You're <laughs> never gonna get somebody to look towards Jesus when you're acting like a fool. Right. And that's. Yeah. It's hard. It is hard. It is hard. It is. That's the world we're living in. So it was funny. I put out a a post on the Facebook page the other day asking for people to send in questions and. You know, obviously these questions that we had were awesome um, and really great questions. And then Kyle here says, sends me a bunch of personal <laughs> questions, which is awesome. I, I think it's cool. So we're going we're gonna to get to those too. I so, had to. Yeah. Go ahead. You can ask them. Awesome. Thank you for the honor. Yeah. No, <laughs> but I thought it'd be a nice, you know, it's fun, I, I figured you'd probably get a lot of those questions yeah. and, uh, you know, we can balance this out a little bit so we can, those listening can get to know Chris a little bit better and. Anyway, so I have a couple of questions. First one here. Uh, what was the most unique tattoo design you've ever done for a client? Hands down, my friend Joel Frieders, he's a great guy. He's an alderman in, in Yorkville here down the street. He had me tattoo a band of bacon wrapping from his ankle to his knee on his <laughs> on his right leg. Um He's a big CrossFit guy and he loves bacon, but who doesn't love bacon? Right. right. It goes with everything. Yeah, don't read Leviticus about that either. But <laughs> he uh yeah, he got a band of bacon and then on his, one of his arms I tattooed it like a nine or ten inch stalk of broccoli. Dang. Yeah, is he's a great dude. He's that's awesome. Yeah. Bacon, it's it's good for everybody. <laughs> right? Well, it's oh, very I delicious. It. Yes. Right. All right. Uh second one. Um have you ever been approached to do a TV show or even another documentary? <laughs> now I know you've done that. Obviously you've done a documentary you've done, or you're working on that novel. Yeah. It's coming along slowly. Slowly, but surely. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's but what I, it should be called. Right. I know I've talked to, to you about this in the past, but I, I thought it'd be a, a great question to revisit and let others yeah. hear about 
Yeah, I, I've been asked a number of times. I can't even remember how many times to do a reality quote, you know, quote reality show. Um, and we've we've explored it, and we've we've thought about it, and we uh, we're open to doing it. But the problem is, these networks. A couple things. First of all, they think that they're doing a favor to the Duck Dan- Duck Dynasty guys by letting them pray at the end of the episode, and that's not what I'm about. Like. Uh, I'm not going to always take you to church, but I'm going to talk about Jesus because Inc. 180 is a ministry. Okay. I'm not going to shove religion down your throat. I'll never do that either. But I just think that they put too many restrictions on people uh, as far as sharing faith goes and, and really the, the core mission of what's going on. The other thing is they love the gang angle of things. They wanted to do that, but they numerous networks, including A&E and uh, uh, Nat Geo, a bunch of bunch of these big cable networks um, came back and said, well, the sex trafficking stuff is just too heavy for the average viewer. Like they'll turn it off. It's it'll, it'll make people sick. I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world. It's, <laughs> right. it's tough to listen to that. I see a therapist. Right. Hello. It doesn't right. mean that we shouldn't educate people about it because exactly. it's hard to listen to. So do I think it'll ever happen? Probably not. Um, we're, you know, we're open to it as far as another documentary goes. Um, Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Again, I wouldn't want it to be about me or, or anything like that. And I think TLN did a great job of kind of showcasing the ministry and what it's about. So who knows? I mean, I'd be open to it. Um, if, you know, if it's God's plan, it's God's plan. So we'll see. Right. Right on. All right. This one is getting a little more personal. Well, very personal. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> what is the best concert you've ever been to? I just went to it. Um, Tyler and I, my son, Tyler, Cindy Lauper. No, no. <laughs> I went to that cause of my wife, the things we do for the ones that we love. I said uh, to get that on. Yeah. Recording. Thanks. I'll get a bunch of messages about that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, Tyler and I went to see Roger Waters at the United center mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. One of my friends had a pair of tickets and he couldn't go. And he's like, you want to go check it out? I said, I've never, I was, I, I grew up on Pink Floyd music and as a kid, my parents loved it. And I'd never seen him or David Gilmore live. And hands down, it was the best concert I've ever been to. Awesome. All right. Last one. Yeah. Off the top of your head, what's your top 10 favorite comedy movies? I only say comedy because each time I've gotten a tattoo here and sitting in your chair, yeah, we watch something yeah. that's hilarious. Yep. I don't know how you tattoo people and, <laughs> and not laugh and shake and screw up because I certainly would. Oh man, let's see. okay. Def, number one definitely is the Blues Brothers. Nice. Number two has got to be Caddyshack. Mm-hmm. Stripes. I'm a big Bill Murray guy. Um, oh man, comedies. The kings of comedy. I love comedy <laughs> like concert videos. Ron White mm-hmm. and all that. There's um, Ghostbusters. Like all the like Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, John Belushi. Like. Um, all the, those are the best. Um, and I do kind of levitate towards watching comedy movies just because so much of my real life is heavy stuff. So right. I kind of need that outlet to to do it. Also, anything Will Ferrell's in. Talladega <laughs> Nights gets a lot of play around here. So, yep. Yeah, we, uh, we love to laugh and we have to. It's a good outlet. Right, definitely. Yeah. All right, you got to couple more questions there. Yeah, I got a couple more. Um, one was, tell us tell us about you and your wife. I'm trying to get Lisa to come on and do an interview um, because 
you know, she's kind of shy until you get to know her. Um, <laughs> but we met in high school and fell in love. And yes, we're high school sweethearts. We got married in 1994. She is and has been the best part of my life since I met her. Um, she's the biggest supporter I have, and she's 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 my rock. So um, I'm de- I am going to get her on here to to have an interview conversation. Awesome. Uh, my kids, I don't know. I, sometimes I think, you know, they think it's cool. Their friends think it's cool that I'm a tattoo artist and that their mom does piercings. So uh, I think they get kind of tired of hearing about that. But they um, they've kind of taken on their own roles, different ministry type things. You know, Tyler's a musician. He he's very involved in music and writing music. His band, who knows, just um, released their first EP, and they're doing a couple shows locally. So he's heavily involved in that and music with church and Young Life. Uh, Mackenzie's a hairstylist and um, doing great work there. She does makeovers for folks that were involved in trafficking here with us and through us. Um, she's doing amazing things. I'm really proud of her and my youngest Quinn wants to eventually get into law enforcement. So she's just, you know, it's really cool as a parent to be able to see my kids developing their own ways of, of giving back and serving the community. And that was the last question. Um, got a few, got, uh, kind of cutting it close on time here. So we're going to uh, a couple announcements I have. Uh, I'll be speaking. I'll be I'll be doing the message at my church, Big Life Community Church, on Sunday, September third. Um, come check that out if you're in town. If you're visiting for the holiday weekend, we'd love to have you come out for that. Um, I'm going to be talking a lot about serving in the community. Got a great message planned for that. Um, September 24th, we're going to be having our next social media safety class here at Inc. 180, and and as I said, we're going to be doing that on Facebook Live as well for folks that are not in the area that can't get to Inc. 180. Um, so join us for that. And we'll be posting that on the Facebook page as, as time comes uh, closer. We're also collecting school supplies for our, our friends up at with mask up in Inglewood, Mothers Against Senseless Killings. So if you have any school supplies you'd like to donate, backpacks, paper, pens, uh, pencils, you can drop that off at Inc. 180 anytime uh, Tuesday through Saturday from noon to 9 p.m. Uh, we're running a special right now, tattoo special on the regular side of the business. We're doing $50 Bible verse references the rest of the month of August. And we'll be doing our semicolon tattoo event again the entire month of September for Suicide Awareness Month. Uh, we're doing semi, semicolon tattoos for $25 next month. So we're excited. A lot of cool things going on here with the ministry. Very busy. Um, just keeping it going. And thanks to everybody who continues to bless our ministry and donate at Inc180.com to help us keep it going. Uh, to close things out, I, I you know, want to thank you all again. Um, the way that you guys came together and blessed us to, to help us uh, made a, an immediate impact and we, we couldn't do it without you. Um, go out this week, get out of your comfort zone, you know, do something to help somebody in need around you, whether it's a coworker or a friend or a neighbor or just somebody helping load groceries in their car in the grocery store parking lot. If they're struggling, just be out there, be a blessing to somebody, have a great week, be blessed infinitely. We love you guys, and we're going to close it out with another song from our friend Eric Everlast Schrode. What's up, Lisa and the kids? I hope you guys are doing well in California. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You're the air that I breathe. You're the sun when it breaks through the clouds. 